joke, Jim. Got me go to the annex. No! 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 Does this count as annoying? Very. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Valley Creek Church. It's great to be with you. And from wherever you're joining us, whichever campus, let's all welcome each other together to Valley Creek. Man, hasn't this Healthy Relationship Series been great? It's been awesome and so much fun. We've really had the best summer ever at Valley Creek Church. And we're going to wrap up the Healthy Relationship Series this weekend. And, and we've talked through really some very specific ways to bring health to our relationships. We've talked about receiving from Jesus, going first, forgiving and apologizing, intentionally investing. And we're going to wrap the series up with what just might be the most important one throughout the series. Because if it's not laced into every single area, then instead of bringing health to our relationships, it'll begin to break them down. And this last but so important area is speaking life. Speaking life. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Buffalo, New York, and I was getting to hang out with some church leaders there. And, and one of the people that I hung out with was Kim. And Kim might be the most life-giving person I've ever been around. I mean, when you say good morning to Kim, Kim's like, it is a good morning. And it's just the most beautiful day outside. And I am so glad you're here to share this morning with me. And I just want you to know you're a wonderful person, and I'm grateful for you. And I can't wait to see what the rest of this day has. And you're like, Man, I was just hoping for good morning back, but I guess it, it really is a good morning. And I thought about not even preparing a message. Like, I'll just report, record some clips of Kim, and I'll just play that for you guys. Like, here's how we speak live. But I didn't get to do that, so I did prepare a message for you. And here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about why it is so important to speak life. What are some ways that we can do that? And then how we move forward with it. So it's a really practical message. Why, what, and how. So let's talk about the why first why it's so important for us to speak life. Because I think it's an area we really underestimate. We underestimate why it's so important. And, and that's because it's talking. You know, and talking is really, really easy. I mean, about the only other thing easier than talking is breathing. But breathing is almost as easy as talking. And so we forget that it's so natural and easy to speak that it's very significant and it's very important. So I've got three whys that I want to share with you about why it's so important to speak life. And the first one is this. It's the volume of our words. The volume of our words. Like the sheer quantity of the words that we speak. Because we talk a lot. 
I mean, think about this. The, the average Tom Clancy novel, it has 600 pages in it and over 500,000 words. That's a lot of words. Now, the average person opens their mouth 700 times a day. And out of that 700 times they open their mouth, they'll speak 18,000 words. The average person. Because I know some of you, you'll get your 18,000 out before lunch. But that's the average person, and that totals to six and a half million words a year. That's a lot of words. That's enough to fill 13 Tom Clancy novels with your mouth every single year. So we talk a lot. It's no wonder the Bible addresses the tongue so frequently, because God in his wisdom and in his goodness knew we would talk and we would talk a whole lot. So just the volume of our words alone show us why it can be so important to speak life. The second area is this, is the power of our words. We also underestimate the significance and power of our words. Now, our memory verses for this year, for this year of healthy relationships, have been Ephesians 4:29 through 5:2, which says, "Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those are great, powerful verses for us about speaking Life. And if you hone in on the very first one, Ephesians 4.29, it said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's some really strong words there. I mean, those are absolutes. Do not let and don't any, but only. I mean, strong words. And that's because God wasn't being joking or, or flippant when he tells us in Proverbs 18.21 that the tongue has the power of life and death. Your words have the power of life and death. Like words will build up or they will tear down. They will hurt or they will heal. They'll bring life or they'll bring death. Words are not neutral. Your words are going to fall on one side of the scale or the other and they will have an impact. I mean, think about some of the most significant movements in history. All of them were started with words. They were given life with words. And think about some of those most powerful speeches. You know, like Winston Churchill's, we will fight on the beaches. It's a speech that rallied a nation to life and is still remembered to this day. And when you think about those significant movements, you know, it wasn't the movement that galvanized people. It was the words that did it. It was the words that rallied them. It was the words that unified them. It was the words that inspired them. It was with words that the movements took on life because words are powerful. And in fact, I bet if you took a moment to think about it, some of your most treasured memories, the things you value the most deeply are not from things that have been done for you, but of things that have been said to you. And like water that shapes a riverbank, choices you've made, places you've gone, things that you have done, the paths you've taken haven't been shaped nearly as much by what people have done as it has by what people have said. Because words are powerful. 
And just like words have the power to bring life, they have the power to bring death. Like it was Hitler's Nazi rhetoric that brought about death. And it's with words that cult and religious leaders enslave people. And John 10.10 tells us that Satan's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only mission, to bring death. And John 8.44 says that Satan is the father of lies. And one lie that he has been telling us since we were little kids, I mean, and I probably everybody in here could, could chant it with me, but we have just gobbled this lie up like free candy, is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That is such a lie. Because what is true is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can actually kill me. Because like verbal abuse and cyberbullying, those are some of the leading causes for depression and self-harm. That you see sometimes it's not as much by what has been done to you, but by what has been said to you that hurts you so deeply. And think about that one for a moment. Some of your probably deepest scars and wounds and hurts are not from when you've been hurt physically, but by when someone has said something to you that hurts you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, because our words are powerful. So why the Bible tells us in John 1, or James 1.19, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because when wielding something as powerful as our words, we need to be patient and we need to be aware. Now the third reason why it's so important to speak life is the design for our words. If you look back in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, it really paints a really clear picture of the design for our words that since the beginning, God has designed for words and life to be together. Because God could have chosen any way to create things, to, to create the world, to create you know, the sun and the moon, and to create plants and animals and people, but he chose to speak things into existence for words to release life. He started it in Genesis 1-3. He says, let there be light, and it was so. Let there be the sun and the moon, and it was so. And let there be plants, and it was so. To say, let there be, and it was so. Over and over and over. That was God's design. And then in Genesis 1-26, it says, And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And it was so. This was God's design to speak forth life. And it was so. And this design continues right into the New Testament. If you flip over to John 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it continues with Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The Word released life. So the process of speaking life has been God's design for everything, but it's his design for us as well. Like our design is to speak life. It's what we were created to do. If you look in Genesis 2, there's a little bit more detailed account of the creation. And, 
In Genesis 2, 7, when God has created Adam and Eve, it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. It was the very breath of God that gave him life. And then it says that God then brought all of the animals in front of Adam and he had Adam declare identity over them, declare life. For now, Adam to say, let there be and it was so. And with every breath that Adam took, it was a reminder of the life that God had placed in him. And now with every word that it released, it was his design to release life. Just think about that. That's our design. Like we have to breathe in in order to speak out. It's impossible to speak without taking a breath. Your design is to remember every time you breathe in the life of God that has been placed in you to now speak out the life that God has for you to release, to receive from God and release to others. That's our design. Sometimes we just need to do a little more breathing. Slow down, breathe in, and be reminded of the life of God that's flooding your body. And then release that life to others. So our words are many, our words are powerful, and we're designed to speak life. That's why it's so important to speak life. But let's take that to relationships. How can we bring that into our relationships? What are some ways we can bring health to our relationships through speaking life? So I had three whys, I got three whats. So the first one is this, that we can give life-giving encouragement. Life-giving encouragement. Just say encouraging things. Now that one's probably like a, hey, we all knew that. That's not any new revelation. We should say encouraging things. But why don't we do that? If we know we should encourage people, why don't we encourage them? I think it's because we get caught up in wondering why we should do it or if we should do it. We get caught up in wondering if they really need it. We get caught up in wondering, do they even deserve it? Well, here's the answer for that, is grace. We need to focus on grace. Because it doesn't matter if we know if they need it or not. It doesn't matter if we think they deserve it or not. If we will focus on grace, life-giving encouragement will flow out. Because think about grace for us. This is what's so amazing about grace. We always need it. We never deserve it. And Jesus always gives it. If we will take that same approach, just look at people with grace and share grace, encouragement will flow out. And in fact, it's when people least deserve it that encouragement will typically mean the most. That's why Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everything. You'll always have the right thing to say if it's gracious. You can't go wrong with showing grace and encouraging people in a life-giving way. And here's what I'm talking about with that. So like our daughter Paisley, she just turned eight today. Today's her birthday. So little eight-year-old Paisley is a world-class encourager. I've told her, like, you got to start sending your stuff into Hallmark so I can retire because you'd be a millionaire, like, immediately. She's so great at saying encouraging things. And at eight years old, she has figured out two really powerful things. One is to encourage qualities and identity over abilities because abilities can come and go, but not your qualities, not your identity. So to really affirm and encourage those things. And she has figured out there's no bad time to do it to do it in the good times and to do it in the bad times. And so 
not a week goes by that Paisley doesn't create a card or a poster for somebody. She's always either saying things or she's creating something and giving it. And she's not talking about like, man, you're just such a joy to be around and you bring so much joy into every situation. And, and I just love having you in our family. I love that you are my friend. Thank you for being such a faithful friend or you are the best dad or brother ever. I mean, she's, she's even written one for my, my little son's bearded dragon. He's got it taped on the cage. I mean, you don't have to go so far as to do it for the pets, but better too much than not enough. And so she does it all the time. And she's even started to work some humor into it. It was just Father's Day and she wrote this big kind of card poster for me for Father's Day. And she's telling me how I'm the most amazing dad ever. And she just loves that I'm in our family. And, and out of the one dad that she has, I'm the best that there is. And she would never trade me for anything, but no one's given her an offer yet. I mean, she's writing this on the card. I'm like, okay, that's all right. I mean, have fun with speaking life. That is okay. The point is to encourage, just to encourage, just to do it. And another really powerful way to give life-giving encouragement is with a verbal blessing, with just a verbal blessing. The word bless in the Greek is eulogeo, which means to speak well of. That's the first thing that God did. If you look back at that Genesis account, when he created Adam and Eve, it says that he blessed them. He spoke well of them. But it's where we get our modern day word for eulogy. It's what we use for funerals and memorials. But why do we wait until people are dead to speak well of them? Like what if we did it while they were still alive? We just spoke well of people. Like that would be super life-giving. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 12. He says, when you enter the home, give it a blessing. Have you ever just blessed somebody when you go in their home? It's not a formal process. It's not anything elaborate. You can just say, man, may peace be in your home. May joy fill your life. May health abound in your family. Just bless them. Because being in a world that is dark and pessimistic, it can be incredibly life-giving just to have somebody bless you. So what if we stopped wondering if we should do it and we just started speaking life? by encouraging and blessing people, it can be life-changing. The next area is this, life-giving correction. Life-giving correction, and this is probably the area that we miss it the most. Because we tend to think as correction, like this is the time to bring the hammer. This is the time for justice. This is the time to right the wrong. This is not the time to speak life. But in reality, this is absolutely probably the best time to speak life, to build someone up versus tearing them down. Because correction really is bringing the hammer. But as you're swinging that hammer of correction, think to yourself, am I doing demolition or am I doing construction? Am I building them up or am I tearing them down? And the key for this is wisdom. If you'll focus on wisdom and life-giving correction, to have the wisdom to know how to value the person and the relationship in the correction. So in Psalm, or, uh, Proverbs 8, when it's talking about wisdom and it gets to verse 35 and it says, whoever finds me finds life. If you will receive wisdom, you'll bring life into your correction. Wisdom to know the right time. Wisdom to guide the hands and the heart. Wisdom to coach. Wisdom to develop Wisdom to give clarity and unity. Wisdom to actually strengthen the relationship versus tearing it down. 
And Jesus was the master at life-giving correction. And if you look through the gospels, like the disciples gave him every opportunity under the sun to be torn down to nothing, but he built them up into world changers. If you look like in Luke 9, you know, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And instead of shaming them, condemning them for their pride and their arrogance, Jesus uses it to coach and teach them about humility. He brings a child into their midst and he says, this is the greatest in the kingdom right here. Simple like a child, a pure faith, a humble posture. And then in just a few verses later, the disciples are trying to stop a guy from casting out demons. And again, instead of being harsh with them and and condemning them, Jesus teaches them about unity. And he says, hey, guys, if he's not against us, then he's for us. And then just a few verses later, the disciples want to call down fire on a Samaritan village that they're angry with. I mean, burn everyone, the men, the women, the children, the pets, everybody, smoke them all. And Jesus uses that to teach them about love and grace. He says, guys, I didn't come to destroy lives. I came to save them. It's life-giving correction, correction that builds up, that doesn't tear down. And my wife is fantastic at this. She's so good at life-giving correction. And there was a time just a little while back where our son Thatcher and our daughter Paisley, man, they had been going at it. And she kind of hit her limit. And she could have, man, just reacted harshly. She could have yelled at them. She could have grounded them. She could have condemned them. She could have shamed them. But she said, you know what? I'm going to do some life-giving correction. She said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to each go to your rooms and I want you to write a letter to the other about all of the things that you appreciate and admire most about each other. And we knew they could be there for days or weeks, you know, completing this task. But, you know, and they were, they were there for a while, but eventually they finished the letters And they gave them to each other. And it's incredible what had happened because she used it to build them up into looking at the best in people instead of tearing them down over their mistake. And as they exchanged those letters, it so encouraged them that they now each keep those letters in their little keepsake drawers, you know, with all the things that they hold valuable because she used life-giving correction. She invited wisdom into it, wisdom to know the right time and the right way to build somebody up. Because the opposite is very true. When you correct without that, it tears down really fast. And there's a, about two and a half years ago, my wife and I, we were at kind of a really low point in our marriage. And, uh, and we were, you know, sitting on the couch one night, like opposite couches from each other, having, some would call it a discussion, some would call it an argument. And, and my wife was being very vulnerable and real. She was just sharing with me just the places that she was hurt and discouraged and the distance, and instead of inviting wisdom into it, man, I just immediately brought correction. And so as she was at just her most vulnerable place, I said, well, you know what? You just need to be more grateful. <laughs> You'd have thought I dumped like gallons of gasoline on, a, on hot coals, because it just, you ever seen a conniption before? That's the first time I've ever seen a conniption, just boom, it blew. I used to have like really robust hair and it blew it all off right then. <laughs> because what I didn't know is I, I, I swung that hammer of correction that was doing demolition. I knocked out like the last board that was holding everything together for her. And what I should have done was I should have just taken a breath. I should have focused on the life that God was giving to me and release the life back to her. What she needed more than anything at that point was to be encouraged, not any form of correction. 
And so before you correct somebody, just pause and think about that. Is what I'm about to say gonna build them up or is it gonna tear them down? Think of life-giving correction. And the last what we can do is life-giving prophecy. Life-giving prophecy. Now that word may sound intimidating, just the word prophecy. But remember, if you look back in Genesis, like this was our design that God set in place that he continued for us is to say, let, it, let there be and it was so. To speak things that are not as though they are. That God's reality is a superior reality. And if you're wondering like, if I can do this, how can I do this? You know, the answer for that is faith. Yes, you can. Just have faith. Faith to believe things like Romans 4.17 where it tells us that God is the God who gives life to dead things and calls into being things that were not. Faith to believe that God wants to show you things to speak out and faith that he wants to use your words to release life. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. So when you speak those things out, it actually plants seeds of truth in people that begin to grow their faith. As they hear it, it grows their faith to believe it because there are countless people that have dead dreams, dead hopes, dead passions, dead missions because people have spoken over them death. They've said, you don't have what it takes to do that. You don't know how to do that. You can't, you're gonna fail. And those things are lying there lifeless. Giftings, anointings, missions from God are just sitting there, dormant. But if you can look with eyes of faith and you can speak with words of life, you can be the one to resurrect that, to give life to it. And thank goodness, I had a couple of friends that have always done that for me. Two of my closest friends, Rion and John, I've been friends with them for, for probably close to 15 years. And, uh, and they've known me a long time and, and they have looked at me consistently through eyes of faith to be willing to see things that other people haven't seen. Because this is not, definitely not what I've always done. I used to have an insurance agency. And people that knew me that long ago thought, man, there's a better chance he's gonna end up dead in a ditch than as a pastor. And so, man, but, but these guys saw things in me and they, they kept to call them out. They kept speaking them out, speaking life, speaking things that are not as, as though they were. Because I've never done any public speaking. I've never led leaders before. But as I began to hear those things over the years, I began to believe them. My faith began to grow. And I started to take steps into those things. And over a period of years and over a period of steps, I left the insurance industry and came on to Valley Creek as a pastor. And something that I could never have imagined doing, I can't imagine ever doing anything else. But who do you need to do that for? Like, who do you need to look at with eyes of faith and speak words of life? Because the best place to do that was those that are closest to us. With your spouses, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, your good friends, the people that you see regularly is the best place to look with eyes of faith at things that God wants you to speak life to, to give them the faith to believe. So can we be a church that does that? With our close relationships, look with faith and speak with life. Because personally, I can tell you, it's life-changing. 
Now this has been, you know, it's been pretty serious. So let's, let's bring it up a little bit. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Um, everybody, when you came in, you should have got a Speak Life card. This Speak Life Mad Libs card. And this is something we wanted to give you just really kind of a practical way to go and speak life to people. And, and I'm gonna model how to do this because what we want you to do is to have fun with it. Don't be serious with like, have fun. And so I'm gonna enlist the, the help of, of one of my friends, Pastor Jason, he's over here. And so we're gonna do this together. So here's what I want you to do. Here, Jason, give me a nickname. Chewy. Chewy. All right, and give me an adjective. Nocturnal. Nocturnal. All right, and an animal? Narwhal. 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 I spelled narwhal. All right, and uh, give me another adjective. Confused. Confused. Yep. And uh, your favorite place? The nail salon. Everybody's seeing and hearing this. A verb ending in ing. Square dancing. Love it. Another verb. Smile. Another verb. Jump. One more verb. Breakdance. <laughs> this is going to be good. And a noun? Encourager. And an adjective? Real. Okay. Great. So here's what I want to do. I want to give this card to one of my best friends, Pastor Ben at the Louisville campus. Ben Moreno, this goes out to you. So, for those of you who don't know, he's got a nickname. Dear Chewy, you're my favorite nocturnal narwhal. And when, <laughs> when I first met, when we first met, I was so confused. At the nail salon, we always have a blast. And I'll never forget when we went square dancing, you, we always smile and jump when we're together. And you taught me how to break dance. I hope you know that I think you're the best encourager in the whole world. Thank you for being real, Justin. <laughs> there you go, Ben. I love you, buddy. So that's a, that's a Speak Life card. So what we want you to do is just go this week and, and don't tuck that away. Don't throw it away. Go give it to somebody in your close relationships. Give it to your spouse, parents, kids, brothers, sisters, friends, coworkers, the people close, and have fun with it. Maybe have somebody else fill it out with you, or, or you, can, you can fill it out yourself, give it to them, but just use it to release life. Have a good time and release life. So life-giving encouragement, life-giving correction, and life-giving prophecy. These are ways that we can bring health to our relationships. But how do we do that? How do we go about those things? It's actually so easy. It's really easy. We ask, we listen, and we respond. That's it. Ask, listen, respond. John 14, 26 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is your guide, is your counselor. And remember your Genesis design. You were designed for this, to receive the life of God and release that life to others. So Valley Creek Church, you are Jesus-focused. You focus more on what Jesus has done for you than what you have to do for him. And you are spirit-filled. You walk in the character and power of Jesus. And you are life-giving. You receive and release the life of Jesus everywhere you go. You are gracious, you are kind, and you are fun. And I am proud to be a part of this church family. And now what I would like to do, I'm gonna close with this. I would like to bless you guys. And the Bible is so good to literally give us everything we need for everything. So in number six, it actually tells you, this is how you bless. This is how to do a blessing. So what I'd ask you to do is, would you just close your eyes and have the faith to receive this blessing? And feel free to just even open up your hands to receive it as I speak this over you. Numbers six, 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Father, we thank you that it was you who filled us with life so that we have life to give away. Thank you for holding nothing back from us. Thank you for giving us everything. And thank you for teaching us and showing us exactly what to do. And so, Father, I pray for miracles to be released today. I pray that we would be a people who go with faith, to go and give life-giving encouragement and life-giving correction and life-giving prophecy, and that as we do, health would flood our relationships. Father, I pray that relationships that have been broken would be completely healed. I pray that you would use those words of life to resurrect dead things in people's lives, to bring back hopes and callings and passions, that they would get stirred up and released. And I pray that above all, we would see the goodness in the life of God abound everywhere around us. And Father, I pray for the biggest miracle of all, that as we go and we speak life, that somebody would take hold of life for the very first time that they would receive the life of Jesus for themselves and cross from darkness and into light. But God, may we be a people, a church that is known as a church that speaks life. And may it change us. May we never be the same. So God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.